0: Uh, because next Sunday, we start Advent because apparently Christmas is like right around the corner. Uh, that series, uh, starting next Sunday, is going to be called Letting Go of Christmas. So we're going to have to come to find out what that means. But for now, we're going to finish up this series. And during this series, the, the thrust of it has been trying to help us to understand what church actually is. Right? Like. Not what it, it, it has become, perhaps, or not what wounded you or not what opinions you have of the church, but, like, what is church supposed to be? That's what we're trying to do in this series, and one of the metaphors that Jesus used was the flock, and he was the good shepherd of the sheep, which, of course, if you're a follower of Christ, you're a part of that flock. And so we've tried to define some words as we've gone. The first was church, right, because that's what we're trying to understand is what church is. Now, church is not just a place. It's not just an event. Church is a people. It has to start there. That's where Jesus started was with people. And he said he was going to build people on the confession that Peter made. That you are the Messiah. You are the Christ. You are, as as John would say, John the Baptist would say, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. It would all be built on that premise. And then it would be built out on who Jesus is and what he taught. And so that's what church should look like. Now, the next week, we look at church membership. We look at what does it actually mean to be a member of a church. That is very, very important because we have to understand, myself included, that this isn't a spectator sport. Like this is something that Jesus expects us to be all in together with. Because as we usually say when we welcome people into membership, there's two things. One, when somebody's welcomed into official membership and they're like, yes, you can count on me, that's basically what they're saying. But really though, it's saying, We recognize this person as a follower of Christ, and so they're going to be on mission with us now. And we are taking spiritual responsibility for them. But then more importantly, maybe, is that that person is saying, I'm taking responsibility for this church. So there's ownership, right? And there's submission to the church and its authority, myself included, I'm, I am under the authority of the church still. even as a lead pastor, I'm still under the authority of the church. like we need to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, Paul would say in Ephesians 5. So that right there is like, I, I think so core to what happens in a church is that somebody needs you and you need somebody else. Then the next week we looked at what a deacon is and look at what a deacon is and that's that like your model servant in a church. That's an officially recognized person, man or woman in a church, that is it's us as a church saying, this person right here is what it looks like to follow Jesus. Like, they are a lead servant in their life, the way they do ministry here, the way they are in town, where they are at work. Like, this is a person you can look to as a model for Christianity. And they're people that are going to be a part of building teams and doing ministry, right? So that's a hugely important role, and it's an honor to serve in that role. And last Sunday, we looked at uh, an elder. We looked at what does it mean to be a spiritual elder in a church. Again, a, re- a recognized role. And these this is a, it can be an intimidating role because the men that serve in this role here are going to be spiritually responsible for a local church. That's a heavy weight to bear because God says, unlike any other office or person in the church, elders, you're going to stand specifically accountable before me and you're going to give an account for how you led the local church you were part of. Right? So the reason we're talking about these things is because, again, why do churches get sideways? Why is there so much toxicity in some churches? It's because they don't understand clearly what the church is. And then we talked big time about character of deacons and elders because the elders and deacons, the leaders of the church, need to have unassailable character. Like, not that they're perfect, but it says they need to be above reproach. So if we don't have godly leaders in place, we're going to have a toxic environment in our church. And what I love at our church, we have godly leaders that are in place. We have people that love this church and are all in for serving this church. And they're they're all in on raising up leaders because I have to say, I love raising up high-quality leaders and watching what they do as they bring others with them. And then they identify other leaders that are high-quality, passionate people because that's what Jesus Christ did. He identified 12 guys that had a lot of potential. And he identified all the other disciples that followed him that had the potential to do what God was calling them to do. And he trained them up and he turned them loose. And it turned the whole world upside down. It's crazy. Just regular people, just like us. But identifying them is the job, one of the jobs of an elder, that's spiritual oversight. Now the conclusion, though, that this leads us to is that this takes all of us. That's where this all goes. That's where the series is landing, is that... What you see happening in the New Testament is that it, it is incredibly important that we all understand this. With church, it takes all of us. And that's what I want to talk about today. And I want to do that, I want to introduce you to some of the unsung heroes of the New Testament. People that might be seen as nobodies, but they get these shout-outs from the Apostle Paul. And we're going to be in Colossians 4 if you want to go there in your Bibles. But Paul's going to give these shout-outs to these people, and he does it to a different group in Romans chapter 16. People that are never mentioned, other than when Paul gives them a little bit of like, hey, tell these people I said hi. Or these people send your greeting, their greetings to you. And it's important because as we go through this little list here, I want you to think what this means for you. If you're going to say, look, I, I, I'm interested in this church thing. I'm interested in this Jesus thing. Well, what are you interested in? That's what, again, the series has been about. Like, th- this is what it's supposed to be this, this amazing thing that we get called to and get called up into and get to be a part of by putting our faith in Christ. So it's a clear picture of what you're being called to, or what the invite is, at least. But also, if you are a follower of Jesus, if you are especially a member here, like, I want you to think what this means for you. Like, what does this look like in your life? Right, these different people and their examples, all right? So we're going to jump in to Colossians chapter 4, these people that, some of them are never mentioned anywhere else. So this first guy, Tychicus, it's a good name, stay connected and encourage one another. So the thing that we see from him is that he's going to not only be encouraging the apostle Paul who is in jail for his faith right now. Paul in Colossians is writing to a church in Colossae, he's in jail, and he's encouraged. He's got people there that are encouraging him and he wants them to share with other people and encourage them. And this, again, we don't live in this society necessarily that's very connected anymore, especially post-COVID. And we don't necessarily have in a society that wants to encourage each other much, right? That, we're not all about that. I saw a meme this morning or yesterday. I can't remember what it was, and it said, um, "If you want to prepare your kids for the real world, hang their paintings up in their, their artwork up on the refrigerator, and then just put a bunch of nasty comments below it." Like, I and mean, they've it to be funny, but it's just like, but that's like sad, right? That's for real, like, and it's just like, hey, I'm gonna put this out there in the world, and you got a bunch of trolls that want to tear it down, right? So the church needs to be different. So here's what he says about Tychicus in verse seven of. 4. He said, Tychicus, our dearly loved brother, faithful minister, and fellow servant in the Lord, will help you or he will tell you about all the news about me. I have sent him to you for this very purpose so that you may know how we are and so that he may encourage your hearts. Again, there's so much hate and division and cynicism and isolation. Let's be different. Let's be different. Let's partner with people, let's stay connected with people, and then be there to find ways to encourage people. That's a role that this guy played in the Apostle Paul's life. So again, Tychicus, what do we learn from him? Stay connected and encourage one another. That's a huge component of what church is supposed to be like. Now, why should we each individually think about that? Because it takes all of us. If you're a follower of Jesus, it takes all of us. Not somebody else, all of us. Like that's the power where the Holy Spirit works through is when people, just regular people, are just trying to find ways to do these kinds of things that we're going to talk about. So next, Paul gives a shout out to Anisimus. I love this guy's story. So Anisimus, the gospel turns useless into useful. So if you don't know this guy's story, this is like this is kind of like the center of what Christianity does to slavery. So Paul writes a letter to Philemon, who's a slave owner. And Paul's trying to convince this guy, look, Really, this guy, this slave of yours, Onesimus, has landed up under my care, and he has accepted Christ and is now following Christ, and his name, Onesimus, it's a slave name, means useful, and you think he's useless, but I want to tell you that this guy, a fellow brother in Christ, is doing great work on behalf of the kingdom of God. And so he's like, I'm going to send him back to you, but he's not a slave. This is a fellow brother. And so you have all this, like, the gospel in the New Testament is kind of unraveling this major institution in the Roman world. Because they're, like, what's a sin? Well, being a slave stealer, being a man stealer is what it's called, is a sin. So how are you going to have slavery if you're not stealing people, right? And so there's, like, the gospel equalizes. The gospel raises up, and it turns what this owner thought, Onesimus, was useless. And Paul says, no, 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 he's useful. So much so that he says to him, he's a dearly loved brother. He's not a slave. He's a dearly loved brother. He's one of you. No longer a runaway slave. No longer condemned by his past. And I wonder, what would that look like in the community of Jesus? To say, we're not going to allow people to be condemned by where they were in life. What they used to be. They see themselves as useless, as worn out, as beat up. Nothing to offer. No, no, that's not the gospel. That's not the community of Christ. That's not what you see right here. And so he's calling him out specifically, and I love his story, because Jesus actually, like, he absolutely changes everything about us. And when you live in a redeemed community, you get to see people like this find a new way forward. So Onesimus, the gospel, turns useless into useful. Now, how are we going to create that in kind of environment? It takes all of us. It takes all of us to create an environment where somebody like that is not going to be defined as something as big as being a slave of all things. Now, you're a redeemed brother now, and you're useful for the kingdom of God. Then he goes on to Aristarchus. What do we learn from Aristarchus? Suffer with one another. He says of Aristarchus, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, sends you greetings. He sends you greetings. My fellow prisoner, I'm in jail right now, and yet, this guy, Aristarchus, is helping you. This is the companion on Paul's missionary journeys. So he would have been out there getting beat up with Paul. He would have been out there stranded on ships. He would have been out there without food, without shelter, without warm clothing. Like, this is the guy that was out there doing it with Paul, man. He was getting it done, and now he's in jail. But he's encouraging him there. So he's mourning with Paul in that, or he's celebrating with Paul whenever Paul's celebrating But I wonder, what would it look like if we did that in the community of Jesus, if we learned this lesson from Aristarchus that we need to suffer with one another? Like, we just had a person lose a spouse. We just had a family lose a mom, right, lose a grandmother. Like, will we suffer with them? We all do that collectively if we know her. Will we, you know, will we come alongside for the funeral? Like, will we be there in the weeks afterward? That's suffering with one another. And that's sacrificial. That's giving up some of our time to suffer with one another. And it's a great example. And how does that get done? It takes all of us. It takes all of us. Not just a couple to reach out, like, oh, somebody else will do that. I'm sure I don't want to bother them. No. Bother them. Tell me, you praying for them. Tell me, you love them. Because that's what the community of Jesus does, and it takes all of us. Then he moves on to Mark. Mark, much like many characters in the New Testament, but especially Onesimus, Mark, uh, we learned from Mark, the church is a redemptive community. So here's what he says, he says, as Mark does, so he sends his greetings, Aristarchus sends greetings, as does Mark, Barnabas' cousin, concerning whom you have received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. Now Mark is a really cool character, and this is, I'd love to hear you, like this one character, if nothing else. So Mark was at the beginning, at the center of a, the major split that happened right in the early church, right in early Christianity. There was a massive chasm that happened, and Mark was at the center of it. So in Acts 13, they're going on their first missionary journey. Like the gospel is finally being spread out to the world. Mark is going with Paul and Barnabas, but he bails on them. He chickens out, and he leaves them. And in Acts 15, Paul is still furious about it. And Barnabas, it's his cousin, he's like, hey, we should bring Barnabas along on our second missionary journey. And Paul's like, are you kidding me? I'm not going to take that dude. He totally deserted us when we needed him most. He just left the mission. I'm not going to take him. So Paul and Barnabas get in such a sharp disagreement that they just split up. And they go their separate ways. And it's like, yikes. That's old Christianity. Struggling with people, right? People are messy. People say and do things that are dumb and hurtful. Or they don't realize what they're saying. And it just hurts you. And it's like, so we have all these things, but they work it out. And we don't see the details of how all this happened. But here's Mark's story. So that's happened, that happens in Acts 13. Acts 15, they split. But now here's Paul, clearly restored, because Mark is with him, and he says he's sending these greetings from Mark. Mark's here with me, on mission with me, restored with me. And we see that in the book of 1 Peter, so Peter, one of Jesus' best friends, he says, hey, Mark's here with me. So he's been restored to Peter. And history holds that Mark, wrote the gospel of Mark, with the help of Peter, so here's this guy now, he's at the epicenter of the first major split of the church, but now this redemptive community of Jesus has restored him, and now all of a sudden he's not just defined by the mistakes that he made, by the failure that he was, now he's defined by what Jesus Christ is doing in his life, and by the other believers that came along to nurture him in that journey. right? So not only, again, is he restored, but look what God is doing as the story unfolds in the New Testament. And so I love, his, I love his story so much because he has an embarrassing story. In his gospel, he's the only one that mentions that he, he doesn't mention himself by name, but he is probably the one that gets, when Jesus is arrested, all of his clothes get stripped off because he's fighting to get away, and all of his clothes get stripped off because he's wearing basically a nightgown, and it says in Mark that he runs away naked. How embarrassing is that? Like, I don't know, did Peter be like, hey, you should include that story, Mark? That was funny. I don't know, but it's like he's a failure and an embarrassment, a coward, and yet God restored him, and yet the redemptive community of Jesus restored him, but that can't be done unless what? It takes all of us, right? If we're not all in this together, if we're willing to just put people in their past and never let them move beyond their failures, we are not the people of Jesus as Jesus envisioned if we won't let people move beyond that and restore them and raise them up and watch what God does. You know what I'm saying? It takes all of us. All right? So Mark, Church of the Redemptive Community. Justice. So be there for your fellow Christians as we learn from this guy, Justice. So verse 11. So you have Aristarchus, Mark sending the greetings, and so does Jesus who is called Justice. So he changed his name, right? Doesn't really want to get mess, mixed up with Jesus now, right? Because Jesus is kind of a major player. So he's like, All right, that's got to be him. I don't want to get in his way, so just call me justice. These alone of the circumcised, Paul's fellow Jews, are my co-workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a great comfort to me. So though he's in prison, though he's suffering, again, you have this idea of coming alongside and suffering, being a comfort in the midst of difficulty. To do that is a major inconvenience. So we've got to be intentional about that as the people of Jesus. So justice, be there for your fellow Christians. But how does that happen? It takes all of us. It takes all of us. Not some of us, not a couple of us, not the pastor, not the deacons, not some other welcome team member. It takes all of us to be the people that Jesus envisioned. Then he moves on to Epaphras. Epaphras was probably their pastor at this church in Colossae. What we learn from Epaphras is the importance of praying for each other. This guy was a warrior. Look at this. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, sends you his greetings. So their pastor is basically out of town visiting Paul. He is always wrestling. And the Greek word, this is written in Greek, the Greek word behind that is like agonizing. It's where we get our word agonize from. So he is literally agonizing in prayer for these people, always. And what is he doing that for? So that you can stand mature and fully assured in everything God wills. This is a good pastor. This is somebody that's going to bat for them all the time so they'll know what God's will is and they'll know how to live in God's will. And I heard Louis Giglio once said, The funny thing about God's will for people is we always want to be like bullseye God's will. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's like if I'm not dead center and I know with 100% certainty that everything I'm doing in my life at every moment is God's will, then man, I'm like way out here. And I think from God's perspective, he's like, "No, No, no, I just want you to learn my will. I want you to grow in your relationship with me. And I'm good with the page, man. I'm good with the page. Like, we'll get you down towards the center, but stop, like, not doing anything and being frozen by fear because it's like, oh, God, I don't know what your will is. It's like, man, just faithfully follow him. Because what Romans 12 says is that if you follow follow Christ and if you're renewed by your mind, that process is going to lead to where you know what God's good and pleasing and perfect will is. So it's going to get you on the target. Stop worrying about being dead center. And this pastor is praying that they're going to understand what God's will is and be able to act on it, right? Just being able to live out their faith. And then he says, for I testify about him that he works hard for you. It's like, just a good pastor. He works hard for you, for those in Laodicea and for those in Hierapolis. He's praying that they can stay mature and fully assured in everything God wills, that they'll grow in their faith and then they'll be able to act on God's will. So again, a pastor, is, be a prayer warrior. For each other, Sandy Morgan, Morgan was a prayer warrior for this church. She had stacks of journals that she worked through for prayer, and it's like, man, she was this behind-the-scenes, again, unsung hero. Pray for each other, but if we're gonna, again, if we're gonna build that kind of community and we're gonna have that kind of prayer support, what's it gonna take? It's gonna take all of us. It's gonna take all of us to do this to build the kind of community that Jesus envisioned. Benny mentioned Luke. Luke, what we learned from him is cool. Use your occupation for the glory of God. This is a tough one for people. But Luke, verse 14, the dearly loved physician and Demas send you greetings. So Luke uses occupation to glorify God, to help people, because he's a historian. He wrote the Gospel of Luke and the Book of Acts. The Book of Acts is a chronicle, a historical account of early Christianity growing out of Jerusalem. So use the skills as a historian to do that. And then think about how often Paul was beaten, Paul was starved, Paul was almost stoned to death, Luke, the dearly loved physician, would have been right there using his skills and his vocation to bless Paul and to spread the gospel, to be a part of what God was doing. Like, a lot of us separate work from worship. And here's the insider view of a pastor. A lot of pastors separate their work from worship. It's really easy to become a pastor and then become professional and be like, oh, here's my spiritual life over here. But, you know, I'm doing all this for Jesus. And so a lot of pastors, and every time I go to a conference, they point this out when it comes to burnout. A lot of pastors, they just do the work of Jesus, but they never really pray or read scripture outside of their time to prep for something that they're teaching. That's a really dangerous thing to do. So if I get to that place, that means I've put my spiritual life over here and I just see my work as something I do, rather than like Luke saying, no, 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 my work and my spiritual life are the same thing. So wherever I work, whatever I do, I need to make sure that I'm trying to find ways to be like Jesus and to use my gift in in that space, but then also among other people. How can I serve other people? Luke was serving Paul through his giftedness, through his job, so to speak. So again, Luke... Use your occupation for the glory of God. Now, again, what's that look like? It takes all of us. Got a lot of different jobs in here. Got a lot of different skill sets in here. A lot of different ways to serve one another through that. And then Demas is kind of a sad character. He gives a shout out to Luke and Demas. But the thing about Demas is that we don't want to give up. So here's what happens to Demas. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul, writing to a young protege, Timothy, a young pastor, and he says this to Timothy. Make every effort to come see me soon, because Demas has deserted me, since he loved this present world and has gone to Thessalonica." This guy had a divided loyalty between the world and the mission, and he just bailed. He just bailed. And he's like, so we see Demas here with him in Colossae, like, or this letter to Colossians, and he's with Paul. He's there. He's on mission. But eventually, he just bails on him. And it's like, man, that cuts deep. And so what we learn from Demas is, man, look, it's going to be hard. Church is not easy, but let's not bail on each other. Let's be committed, let's be loyal to one another and not just run off, because that hurts. It hurts when that happens, right? But if we're gonna be loyal, if we're gonna create that kind of culture and that environment, again, what's it take? All of us, right? All of us, and that's where the accountability comes. Because if you notice somebody's not here, well, the pastor, he'll call them. Like, well, that's not a very fun thing to do if I'm the only guy calling people. Hey, I know she's not here lately. Oh, yeah, hey, Pastor Kyle. You know, like, what if we all do that? What if we all hold each other accountable, right? That's good stuff, okay? Nympha, the uh, lesson learned from her, do what you can with what you have. Verse 15, give my greetings to the brothers and sisters in Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her home. A lot of us, again, think I don't have much to offer. I don't have much to give, Pastor Kyle. I don't, I don't know what my gifts are. I don't, I don't know what I have to give. She had a house. She offered it up. She was a host to a church, right? Jesus, he took this old beat up fishing boat and he used it as a platform to preach the gospel to all these people. Some little boy comes along. He's got some bread he's got some fish. Jesus turns into a miracle to feed thousands of people. This tomb of Joseph of Arimathea, he's like, hey, this, I, I, I just, Jesus can be buried here. What's, that, what's Jesus turn that into? An empty tomb as proof of the resurrection. And Jesus will take what you give him and he'll use it. He'll multiply it in ways that you can't see. Right? So what we see from Nympha, I mean, she had a house. Do what you can with what you have. Again, don't ever think it. I need to be perfectly here before I can do anything. No. Just give him some fish. Watch what he does with it. That's Jesus, right? He spoke the universe into existence. I think you can handle me, Right? Right? And then lastly, archipists Challenge one another to stay on the right path. Verse 17 of chapter 4 in Colossians. And tell Archippus, pay attention to the ministry you have received in the Lord so that you can accomplish it. Cool story. Archipist Probably Philemon's son. Remember, so here's a weird thing. Philemon is the slave owner of Onesimus. Onesipus, a slave owner. Archippus most likely was Philemon's son. So here's two guys living in the same home. One's the son of the slave owner. The other is the slave. And yet what does Jesus do? What does the community of God do? Now they're on the same page. They're working together as equals. Because that's what the gospel does. Right, it's beautiful once you start to put some of the details of these stories together. These guys, that would have been awkward, man, but Jesus brings them together, and they're doing the work of the Lord together. Another thing we see is that Paul's kind of, he's like pushing this guy. You need to do what you do, right? You need to make sure and you're doing the ministry so that you can accomplish it. Archippus probably taking over for Epaphras. Epaphras is not there. Somebody else had to step up and lead the church. Paul's like, hey, you need to do what you need to do, bro. We need people that will kick us in the pants every then. Hey, do what you're supposed to do. Do your job, right? Up here in New England. We know what that's all. So it's like, we need somebody at some time that knows us well enough that they can say that to us. But is it just Pastor Kyle saying that? No. Who is it? It's all of us. It takes all of us. So to recap, Colossians 4, we have pickacuts. Stay connected and encourage one another. Onesimus, the gospel, turns useless into useful. Aristarchus, suffer with one another. Mark, Church is, not should be, is a redemptive community. Justice, be there for your fellow Christians. Epaphras, pray for one another. Like, be a warrior in prayer for one another. Luke, don't separate your job and your spiritual life. Use your occupation to the glory of God. Demas, man, don't give up. Don't run away. Nympha, do what you can with what you have. And Archippus, challenge one another to stay on the right path. So i want to end this series with uh, another metaphor. I've given you a bunch, you know, we've talked about the sheep, we've talked about the hockey team, we talked about the embassy. I want to give you one last uh, metaphor to consider, to think about when it comes to church and what this thing is supposed to be, all right? So on this little thing here, we have one last little metaphor, actually it's like a double metaphor. So turn this over, yeah baby. What's this called? It's a puzzle. We all love puzzles, right? Especially big ones that have big, easy pieces to put in them, right? Now, what's going on here in the scenery? It's like two metaphors. Construction site, right? Imagine the cement guy. He's flacking off. He overslept. He's like, sorry, I can't bring the cement in. Or the plumber, or the electrician. They're like, hey, supply issues. I can't get my stuff. It's going to be a week. And you're like, bro, look, we got sheetrock and plaster going up in a week. We need you here now, right? If people aren't doing things when they're supposed to be, Everything's gets, got a whack, right? Almost like church, right? And then, but what are we missing here? It's not quite right, is it? It's not quite right. So, who has that? Jamie, you got one, bro. Come on up here, bro. Yes, all right, Jamie. <laughs> so, you put that one right in there. You got the color coded match. Go ahead and slide it right in there, man. Uh, You've put puzzles together before, haven't you? <laughs> Thank you, sir. Well played. All right. So who has our other puzzle piece? I don't even know. Hans, come on down. It feels like the price is right, man. What's that? All right. Because it's not quite right, is it? We're still missing something, aren't we? But Hans. Hans got the answer. Wait. No. The other way. There we go. Here. We'll suffer together. Bam. There you go. Thank you very much, sir. Appreciate you. Right now, now it's complete. Right? That's a lot like church, isn't it? Because how many of us does it take? It takes all of us, doesn't it? All right. Here's your last metaphor. Jesus, we thank you so much for the church. We thank you so much. It's messy. We know, but it's beautiful. It's powerful. Changes everything, Lord. Um, It's about eternity. It's about forever. It's about this life, Lord, and I would just pray that uh, as a community here, we would see the valuable part that we play, all of us, Lord. If we call you Lord and Savior, Lord, if we are a member here especially, Lord, that's like, that means something. That means something, Lord. Help us to understand that, to own that, to take that seriously, Lord, and just I pray that you protect us as we try to become more like you in a community that looks more like what you intended, what you envisioned, what you're calling us up into. God, would you help us to do that? Because that's like the kind of stuff that only you can do, Lord. And I just pray, just like never, we we would give what we got, we would give what we got, and just watch you do amazing things with it, word. We'd be baptizing people, we'd be lighting candles, we'd be celebrating eternity with people, Lord. And I pray that in your name, Jesus. And this church said, "Amen." All right, God bless you guys. I love you. Once again, thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's message, we'd love for you to subscribe to the podcast so you get notified of new content every week. Remember, we want to help you worship, connect, and serve. So if you live in the central Massachusetts area, we would love for you to engage with us on Sundays. For more information, service times, and details about our children's and youth ministries, visit us at quaybogchurch.org. Have a blessed week.